The Artist Life Podcast is brought to you by Real Creative Heart. Heavy the head that reps the crown. With love, your greatness is found. So rep your crown. Welcome to the Art is Life Podcast with your host, Russell C. Holt, where we sit down with artists from all career fields and we discuss their perspectives on their art and what it means to them in life. So sit back, have fun, and enjoy the ride. Thank you guys for joining me on my first episode of Art is Life. I'm your host, Russell Holt. Um, joined with me is a close personal friend of mine, um, MJ, a.k.a. Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones. He is a producer um, from Los Angeles. Uh, we met um, about five years ago in 2016 when he came out here. And I was an extra for the Marshall film. And he was very um, open, very friendly, um, and became we became friends right right from there. And it was yes. and it, yeah, and it was like, and he didn't have to do it because he didn't know me, I didn't know him, and but he he made it an effort to reach out to me and um, you know we talked about how I was going to LA, went out there and we we maintained the friendship, and now he's back for another movie, yes. um, Cabrini, which will be coming out. Um, Probably sometime in um, 2023. Okay, 2012. So we, we, got, a, we, got, a, we got a while for that. Um, but enough of that. Um, so pretty much want to let people know what Art is Life is about. It's um, pretty much about talking about art in life in general, in all aspects of life. Um, not necessarily in the art space all the time, but just in any perspective. Um, based off anyone's perspective or their passion or their career, um, cause art could be whatever you want it to be. Um, and, and most things could be considered an art form. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the artistry of being a producer. So, um, MJ, why don't you, you know, um, first let's give, give the fans a little bit of a background on who is MJ? Well, um, the way I got started actually in the movie business, I didn't, get started. I didn't go right to producing. Producing is not something you kind of have a straight path to. Um, if you've ever been to film school, and those of you who have been to film school, you know there's about 300 different jobs on a film. When you're trying to find out exactly where your niche is on a film, you kind of get yourself immersed in the film world. So when I first started in film, um, I actually started in casting is where I started. Um, because I always had an affinity, like for yourself, for actors and people who are aspiring actors. And I liked everything that was going on with scripts. So my first foray into film was in the casting department. The first film I actually was on was actually Set It Off, which starred Queen Latifah, Jada Pinkett, um, Vivica Fox, um, Kimberly Elise. So that particular experience gave me a different type of overview on exactly what film was. Um, we all have these different notions of exactly how it goes, but when you're trying to put together a film or an aspect of a film, you come to find out that your part of it is extremely small in the grand scheme of things. So as I was in casting and kind of cast a film and kind of got out of it, I said to myself, there's got to be a little bit more to it than this. So I actually wound up leaving the film business because also at the time I just got married that same year and there was this 
differentiation for me about what I wanted to do with my life and what I wanted to do to try to support my family. So I stepped away from the film business for 23 years. MJ on him. Another. <laughs> 23. I was away from the film business for 23 years before I came back to it. Unfortunately, um, another job that I had, I didn't know that I was going to meet my um, producing partner while I was on this job. So during the course of uh, working and trying to raise a family, I had just about every job you can think of. I worked for FedEx, I worked for UPS, I worked for the gas company, I was a meter reader. I did all these different jobs, but all these jobs had the same thing in common. I hated all of them. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm working for the, in, in the public sector at a, for the school district in L.A., mm -hmm. LA Unified, and I became a supervisor for a division that did, um, they did supply delivery. And I delivered supplies to about 186 different schools with a crew of about four guys. I got a reputation as a guy who really got things done. Mm -hmm. Because those also become skills that you're going to need if you're going to produce the film. Right. So one day I'm doing some weekend work, and the lady who was the CEO of the actual company asked me, she said, MJ, what do you really want to do? And I said, I really would love to get back in the film. And she was like, you were in film? So I told her the story about the movies I had been on. And um, she said, well, have you met my husband? I said, no. And little did I know that her husband was a three-time Academy Award winning producer, director, Jonathan Sanger. That I did not know. Mm -hmm. So she told me his name. She said, look him up. And I looked him up. I said, whoa, okay. <laughs> so I come into work one day. She set up a meeting between him and I. And him and I started talking about movies, what I did in it. And he said, hey, I like this guy. And um, we stayed kind of in contact for five more years. And then one day I was working and I got into a terrible car accident, divine intervention. Mm -hmm. And this car accident that I got, uh, well, I got into um, actually forced me into early retirement. By the time I retired, I was just, I was just a little bit over 50. And when you retire, retire early, you know, when you can go to the beach and the mall and do all that when you want to, and you still kind of get a check, you, you, you get bored pretty quickly and says, happened too fast. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do now? Um, then one day I was at my local barbershop in the back playing some dominoes with some old men. And Jonathan called me. He said, hey, you still want to try your hand this producing thing? I was saying, yeah, sure. So um, he called me, told me where to meet him. He, my, my old delivery driver uh, mentality kicks in. I said, this is Beverly Hills. What are we doing over here? We're going to go to lunch or something? I get there. He's standing in the hallway of this office. Throws me some keys and says, this we're going to make our first movie together. And the first movie him and I made together was Marshall. Boom. And that's how we met. Full we circle, met. just like that. So... So for those who don't know, um, what does a producer, what does it consist wow, of? Wow, that's a very, very good question. <laughs> because when you go on a movie set, the roles in a movie set are pretty well defined. You know what the director does. Mm -hmm. You know what the costumers are doing. You know what the light people are doing. You know what the sound people are doing. But mm -hmm. somebody says, well, what does the director do? Mm -hmm. Say, hmm. Or the producer. Oh, excuse me. What, what does the producer do? Mm -hmm. Sorry. So the producer is like a principal at a high school. He works with the cafeteria manager. He works with the uh, teachers. He works with the students, security. If there's a lockdown, they're going to call him. Mm -hmm. A producer on a film is an end-all and be-all. So what we do, we acquire the project. We develop the project. Mm -hmm. We hire everybody on the project from tip to stern. We're going to hire the director. We're going to hire the costumers. We're going to be beholden to the people who are actually going to invest in the film. Mm -hmm. We're going to ride the film out all the way from inception to actually creation. Mm -hmm. 
then we're going to be there promoting the film when it's time to get it promoted. We're going to be there when the film goes through the screening, when it goes through the trailer. We're going to be there when the film has its run at the theater. Mm -hmm. We're going to be there to make the deal when the, when the film goes to television, cable. A film has a very long tail. Mm -hmm. So a producer is always involved with that particular entity for an extremely long time. Mm -hmm. So that aspect of filmmaking became more... Um, interesting to me because it kept me engaged in every aspect of it. Right. So I'm working with actors, meeting actors, going over the lines with them, working with directors. So when I first got into film, I didn't know how important it was to me to have an aspect of it I was involved in that kept me fully engaged. Mm -hmm. And also what that led me, led me to be able to do was also do some of the other things that I like to do with my life, which is help people, meet people, get to know them. Um, if there's something else that's going on in their lives that I can help them with, especially if there's something in their lives that's going on wants to get them involved in film. Right. So it became something of an end-all and be-all. Because, you know, still you and I, we mm -hmm. talk about what you're doing with your acting career, what you're doing with your writing career. Mm -hmm. So now all this exposure I've been able to get within that particular field allows me to be able to help people on all kinds of levels. So that becomes another part of my life mission. Right, right. So you're like the Mr. Miyagi of, of film. I was like, <laughs> Wax on, wax on. Yeah, I like to think. So, um, when it comes to like casting directors and stuff like that, when they pick the actors and stuff like that, you essentially could say no or yes. Like yes. you, you can I be could. like, I if could. they pick someone, be like, nah, I don't, I don't really. Well, anybody that's also going to be working on the film, when we bring them in, we're bringing them in for their level of ex expertise. But at the end of the day, we get to veto anything that we don't like about the film because it's our job to try to put together the best team possible. Mm -hmm. So if we have a casting director who's a do give you an example, when we were doing the Marshall film, um, when we were trying to cast the role of Joseph Spell, mm -hmm. we thought that that might have been a better role for somebody like John David Washington because he was on the come up. Mm -hmm. But the casting director, Vicki Thomas, said, have you guys ever thought about Sterling K. Brown? Mm -hmm. At the time, we, we didn't know who he was. We didn't know what he was going to do. Nobody knew that This Is Us was going to be that kind of sure. show. So she made a suggestion for a role that we, we are very happy was made. Mm -hmm. You know, um, then when we did the thing with uh, the Josh Gad role in that, in that film, that was originally supposed to go to Jonah Hill. Mm -hmm. But understand that at any time that you have different people in the movie, it makes it a different movie. Right. Because that actor is going to bring his nuances to the character. So we do gather those kind of suggestions. Mm -hmm. um, when you talk about cinematographers and people who um, can actually shoot the film, how the film is shot, every aspect of the film, depending on who you put in certain places, who who knew that we were going to wind up getting Ruth Carter, who became the first African-American to ever win an Academy Award for doing Black Panther, yeah, but she was also the, cap, the costume designer on our film. I mean, who knew? Yeah, she's killing it. I f she did something else, I, I forget. She's done Dolomite Is My Name. She's done... Um, the Coming to America movie. Did she, did she just get a star, a star on it? She just got a... She, I knew she, she it, it was something big. And there's only been two yes. costume designers in the history of film who've ever had a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Her... Excuse me, and the lady who did The Wizard of Oz. And that, that star that she got was done over 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. So to have Ruth only be the second person to ever do it. And be black. And to be black. And to have her work on our film and to have a personal relationship with her. Because that also, those personal relationships also help you get other people involved in film. Mm -hmm. You meet people who say, I always wanted to be a costume designer. Right. I said, well, I, I know somebody who mentors people. Mm -hmm. Because there's always that, like, velvet rope. Mm -hmm. You know, you're on the side of it trying to get autographs, but now when you're on the inside of it, how do you use that platform you have to help other people? Right. So now the things that I know about film, 
how people get eyes on certain things. I try to use those things to my advantage for people that I know who want to be able to do this work. Because this work seems like there's a mystery around it. Mm -hmm. And it is shrouded a particular level of mystery. Mm -hmm. But the people on the inside of it know how to help other people do it. And if I'm on the inside and I've got people who I know who want to do it, why would I not want to help them? Right. So you got all the, you know, all the positions you were saying in the film industry. Why, why producing? Why not directing or acting or... Well, for me, film, you, know. you know, my personal taste is that um, I'm also a businessman. Mm -hmm. You know, I own small businesses in my neighborhood. I own a barbershop. Um, I used to own a candy store. We had a t-shirt shop. Mm -hmm. So producing also allows me to use my business acumen mm -hmm. towards trying to um, produce films. Mm -hmm. Because there are things about contracts and putting people together and making deals. There's Producers are deal makers as well. Mm -hmm. So there is a business aspect of it that became appealing to me. Mm -hmm. um, when I first came to do the Marshall film, I was cautioned by my business partner and said, hey, wait a minute, I just want to let you know it's going to be a lot of people going to be a little bit um, testy with you. Mm -hmm. I'll put it like that. Because I skipped a lot of chairs. I've never been a UPM. I've never been a um, POC. There's certain jobs that lead you into producing mm -hmm. that I never got a chance to do or never was really truly exposed to. Um, the kind of way that I really got a chance to do um, or put, kind of catapult myself in the position I'm in now mm -hmm. is because I was very good with contract law mm -hmm. and very good with deal making. Mm -hmm. So in our particular company, if there's going to be a contract that comes in that's going to engage us contractually, it's going to come across my desk first. Oh, yeah. My business partner, he is, there's nothing in this he hasn't done, but he does respect my ability to flesh out a good deal. He'll say, what do you think about this? Then we had some deals that we were making early on that weren't so good. He says, well, why would you say that about it? I said, well, did you see this aspect of it? Did you see what they wanted us to do? Because a contract basically is, it's an agreement to do things. Mm -hmm. You agree to do this, I agree to do that, and then within the contract, there's penalties for things that you don't do, I don't do. Mm -hmm. And that's really all the contract is. But it's very thick language. Mm -hmm. And if you have a decent command of it, English language, I'm not a lawyer, mm -hmm. but I can tell when I might be getting stiffed a little bit. Right. Then if I really don't understand what's going on with it because of the other legal jargon, I just hand to my lawyer. She said, yeah, you're right. So that became important to us as business partners because when you are also producing films, you're being bombarded with all kinds of projects. Look at this, read this, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. But just getting the material is just, a, that's just the first step of it. Right. You've got to attach people to it. There's so many different aspects that we'll be on here all night trying to talk uh, about this. <laughs> so how does, so two questions. So one, um, how do you decide on what film you're going to make? And then also, um, like what, are, what, yeah, I guess like, yeah, how, how, how do you go about, deciding well first of all when I when I'm reading it all starts with great material now writing a script and formatting it is just one aspect of it mm -hmm. people go to school for years to learn how to actually write a script but actually brilliant material it really is rare yeah you know for us um, we may read within the course of a year I may read 60 scripts mm -hmm. I mean it may not even take that long I might do that within the first eight or nine months of a year. Mm -hmm. Of those 60 scripts, we may seriously consider 20. Of those 20, we're going to try to get to where the 10 that where the really sweet spot is. Of those 10, 
during the course of, if we get to make three within a year, mm -hmm. that's almost unheard of. Yeah. Because to make a film, the smallest film may be a million and a half. But just think, you got to convince somebody to spend a million and a half of their dollars on, on a film that may not do anything. The film business itself is very tricky. Mm -hmm. Now, when you go to work for a studio, you're kind of at the behest of the studio to do exactly what they want you to do. Mm -hmm. So we work in the independent film space, which gives us the autonomy to pick the actual material. Then you're trying to find out, okay, I've got this great material. Now, how do I get it to people? Then you have to start trying to shop the material. Then you have to have these agreements to be able to shop it. Like I said, we don't we don't have enough time to talk about right, it all. Right, right. But basically, what attracts us to a particular movie is a, is a story. Mm -hmm. And what we've been doing the past uh, few years, me and my partner Jonathan, is that we like real stories about real people. Oh, right, right, right. So we're doing a movie now, Cabrini, which is about a real person. We did the Marsh the Marshall movie, which is about Thurgood Marshall and a real person. Um, I have a story now about two guys out of Detroit uh, that we may do about some real people. I like real stories about real people because the human story is really fascinating when you see the kind of struggles that people have and what they do to overcome some of these things. Nice. nice. Now, um, you were talking about, now, so you said it's you know a good script and a good story, like real, real stories and stuff like that. Have you ever seen a story that you liked, but the script wasn't that good and you did, was it anything like that where you liked the, the story or the concept and you wanted to do it, but the script wasn't where it needed it, to be? It, it, that's almost, that's commonplace. Yeah. Usually when you first get something, you're getting a draft of it, an mm -hmm. aspect of it, that the writer is, usually you never are going to try to do a first draft. Mm -hmm. Somebody give you a first draft, they, they're expecting for you to read it and then give them notes back on mm -hmm. it. Tell me what you thought about it. You, you get these stories and they've got great bones, mm -hmm. but sometimes there may be a theatrical aspect of it that you're trying to play up. There may be, you might want to heighten the drama. Mm -hmm. I very rarely have read anything that I've read, the right, and we, could, we just don't do it, just, it harm, hardly ever happens. Right, right, right. And what I did, do, what we did during COVID, when the studios weren't producing as many films, mm -hmm. we, went, we went deep into development. That's what we did most of the time. We took scripts. We had people that had stories that they were trying to develop. They would bring it to us. They tell me what you think about this. And there's, you know, there's the first act, second act, third act aspect of mm -hmm. it. How do you introduce the characters? How do you heighten the drama? And how do you resolve it? So usually within the course of the script, like I said, a lot of people write. Mm -hmm. But as you're writing it, if you're going to produce it, you want to try to get it out and get it perfect. Because the last thing you want to do is shop a script that's really not ready. How do I make... Uh, Sterling K. Brown, or what's the guy that I forget? I'm, sometimes I'm not this way. Uh, Lakeith. Lakeith Stanfield. How do you make him want to do your movie? Right. So when you hand it to him the first time, you want him to read it and then, like, man, I got to be this character. Mm -hmm. So usually it is the job of the producers to help make sure that they make the characters vibrant enough or make the character interesting enough to draw talent to the actual material. Gotcha. Now, you're talking about um, you guys are an independent you guys are independent producers. What's the main difference between being an independent producer versus someone who's working with a studio? Is it just someone you, because a studio you just have someone who pretty much is backing it is financially, or independent they like have the last say so as far as the studio? Well, or? the independent producer is probably going to get a chance to make a deal that's going to be beneficial to him and his company. 
um, you're going to have more autonomy over exactly what type of material you're going to try to produce. Mm -hmm. When you're working for the studio, it's like, it really is like going to work. You just go to work, this is the movie we're doing, and we need you to make sure that you've got all of these different aspects to make, produce this movie. Mm -hmm. You give it to them, they put it out there. Um, usually you don't have a back-end deal in it, but now with the streaming services, a lot of that stuff is gone now. So still trying to work in an independent space is more challenging now than it ever used to be. Um, uh, for example, there used to be a time when you would make a movie for a studio and you would have a built-in back-end, but now you can't do a back-end with a streaming service because their money is generated off their subscription base. How can they let you profit share with their subscribers? If they did that with every producer, they'd be out of business pretty quickly. So, so back-end meaning like based off of how many sales or how well this, this movie um, does when mm -hmm. it premieres, you get money like based off of like the royalty, like where well, there is, well, there, well, well, back end is a percentage of what you're going to get after the movie clears a profit. Usually, for a movie to clear a to clear a profit, it has to make three times what you put into it. Okay. Now, when a movie is being produced, it's not just the cost of actually making the movie. You have other auxiliary. Uh, auxiliary costs that go into it. Mm -hmm. Like there's a thing called p and I don't know if you've heard that term before, but P&A is publicity and advertising. Mm -hmm. Give me an example, when they did the movie um, Get Out. Mm -hmm. Get Out is actually produced, made, like you made the cake for $4 million. But what they did with that movie, they put $30 million of P&A in it, which means he advertised that movie six months before you ever heard it, before you ever saw it. Mm -hmm. So by the time it got ready to come, you're like, I really gotta see that. Right. For that, for that movie to make a good profit, it has to make three times what you put into it. So just think you're going into it with a $34 million debt. Mm -hmm. Movie was out for a week, made $100 million in the first week it was out. By the time it got to the end of 2017, it had made $276 million worldwide. So it had already oh, yeah, had yeah, really yeah, recouped yeah, and recouped. Yeah. Now just think, Jordan Peele probably had a deal in place, because I don't know the real details, right, right. that said that the movie did a certain number then the rest of the profit came to him. Mm -hmm. So if he had a $34 million movie with the studio that he was with, mm -hmm. by the time he did the first week, it had already started making a profit. At the end of 27, it was a $276 million. I think he walked away pretty good. Right, right. But had he done that movie for a studio for Netflix, he wouldn't have had that type of deal with it. And Netflix would have never really told him what it made because how can they tell you what's making if the movie is on their subscription, it's, it's on their, their uh, streaming service? Mm -hmm. you, how do you know how many people have seen it? They say numbers, but you know those numbers might not be as accurate as we like to think that they were. Yeah. But there's also projects that attract people to their web service, which gives them even more subscribers. So every year they're trying to continue their subscription base, but as a producer, it's a little hard to make a deal with them because when you go in, let's say, hypothetically, your uh, producing fee for a film with them is $150,000. They say, okay, we'll give you two fifty, but when you produce the movie, we own it as our IP. Mm -hmm. You made another extra hundred, but what if that movie would have really did well in the theater, you probably could shot yourself in the foot. Right. But streaming services became so popular. Um, then COVID came along, which made it even more popular because so many people were at home. Mm -hmm. So it's those aspects of movie making that we have to consider as we continue to make movies now. But now, since the world's opening back up and theaters opening back up, we're kind of happy that we stayed in the independent film space. Nice, nice. Now, I notice a lot of EPs, executive producers, like actors, are becoming those now. Is that a significant difference to have that title as like on a, on a project? Well, you know, uh, the movie business is ever changing. A lot of people used to be EPs, or a lot of people are still taking EP credits on movies because it does attract attention to your movie. 
Um, the viewing public is really um, name recognition. Mm -hmm. If you can get somebody to give you an EP on a movie that they recognize, if um, Denzel Washington is your EP on your movie, people are going, oh, let me see what that's about. Right, yeah, but yeah. this aspect of my career, if Mike Jones is your, MJ is your EP, they might say, oh, well, it's yet. Mm -hmm. right. So you try to involve people with your film, name recognition where you can usually get them. Sometimes, and not always is the case, sometimes an EP also may be somebody who loaned money to the movie. Mm -hmm. Might have had an investor who says, well, can I, it's almost like trying to buy a credit. Mm -hmm. He's trying to let other filmmakers and other people know we're out there in the film industry, I support film, I will invest in your film. I EP'd on this one, EP'd on that one, and executive producers usually, sometimes, it can be somebody who had something to do with the money to be actually raise for the film. Gotcha, gotcha. So, um, I know, you don't have much more time, but um, I wanted to, so, as we mentioned before, you're here in Buffalo um, yeah. for Cabrini. Um, yeah. Can you talk any, a little bit about well, any of, just at least giving us a background, what, who is Cabrini, what, what is it about? And... Well, this story is more of a woman empowerment story. It's about a woman who went around the country and built all of these different orphanages and went up against the, the power elite of men. Mm -hmm. um, she just happened to be a nun. Mm -hmm. um, Every time she went anywhere to do anything, she was always told no. But she always believed in herself and her ability to do things, which got things done. But at the time when she was doing it, for her to be able to accomplish what she did at the time she did, it's absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. So that's about as much as we can talk about that point. Right, right, we're gonna try to keep a lid on it. Mm -hmm. But, um, so it's not a religious movie. It's a woman entrepreneurial empowerment type story. So that's what you should walk away from there. You should say, wow. When you see how many different times and how many different power structures, she went up against the archdiocese, she went up against the Roman Catholic Church, she came to a country that was um, not friendly to her particular immigrant group because there were a bunch of Italians. Mm -hmm. So she had so many things against her, but accomplished so much. Yeah, nice, nice. And you said it comes out, 20, some, you're looking some, some at 2023? 20, 20, no, not 2023, I think uh, I meant, I meant oh, to say 2022. Oh, 2022, okay, because cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you we're hoping that we get the film out sometime early next year. Okay, cool, cool. But if so, we're lucky, we'll get it out by maybe Christmas this year. But let's just realistically say we try to get it out early next cool. year. Cool, twenty twenty two guys, check that out, Cabrini. Um, so a couple just questions as far as um, for so for those who are interested in the producing space, like mm -hmm. just being you know a producer. I know you said you skip the steps and stuff like that. So how would one? Who, who it doesn't have that luxury, how can one get into that space? <laughs> well, what I would suggest, obviously you want to learn as much about filmmaking as you can, but really to be able to produce the film, you really have to have producers who want to take you on because it's not just, you know, there's aspects of film that you can get into that it may be, accommodating to you, there's natural progression. This is like when you see somebody who is an actor. Mm -hmm. As an actor, if you're on enough sets and you see how people, what they're doing, you'll say, nah, let me produce my own film. Right. But if you got a great business mind, if you really can maybe do something to enhance the writing of the material, if you're writing, write, there, there's, let me, let me back up, because let me, let me want to really talk about that question there are certain base jobs that lead to other jobs let's put it like that mm -hmm. if I'm a writer it's probably more aspect you get a chance to produce mm -hmm. if I am an actor you might have a better chance to produce right. um, but you could be 
most directors are producers. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the other aspects of it don't really lend themselves to being able to learn what it's like to produce a film. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, a producer is more like an administrator. Mm-hmm. But he's also a business person. He's, there's, there's a lot of hats you wear when you're producing. So for somebody like yourself as an actor, it's a natural progression. After you've been in so many things, you're going to want to direct it. From directing it, you're going to want to have material, material. It, guess what? You're producing. That's what you're doing. Technically, I'm producing this podcast by myself <laughs> right now. So, you're so doing I'm it. producing right now. So that's a that's a little loophole to get <laughs> But um, cool, cool. Um, so yeah, just uh, appreciate you giving me this time. Um, I think I guess the final um, questions would just be um, like. What what is the art of producing mean to you, and then like what keeps you going? Like what motivates you to continue to be out there? Because I know you say you know you you left and then you came back, and you technically you could you could be retired right now if you want to. True. So it's Absolutely. like so what what what, what drives what, what, what you? Drives me now? Yeah. And like what is the art of producing mean to you? Yeah. Well, the art of producing what it means to me is that you get a chance to leave some art in the world that people will look at long after you're gone. The reason I'm in it and the reason what's keeping me in it now because it is an avenue for me to be able to help people. Uh, if I have any type of legacy that I'd like to live behind, that I try to bring as many people into this space as I could. Um, in all honesty and all frankness, most of the time when I'm working on anything, I'm usually the only African-American there. Mm-hmm. So there hasn't been the optics of diversity that I'd like to see in it. Um, A lot of kids, when they're looking for, because I really don't like to, your parents should be your biggest role models, but if you see somebody like me in this and I'm not not Kobe or I'm not uh, Michael Jordan or some other sports star, I'm just a regular guy who gets to do a very, very, quote-unquote, glamorous job. But it is, it's, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But I might meet a kid who say, I want to do what he's doing. And, and if I get a chance, to each one, teach one is my, is my motto. I touch somebody, we touch each other's lives. If we can kind of keep this thing going, and then for us as a people, um, we've been dancing around and singing and acting in front of cameras all the time. Every time you're on this side of a camera, you know, we see a lot of us. Mm-hmm. But when you're looking that way, boom mic person, camera person, right. usually there's not a lot of us back there. Right, right. And when I first got into casting, I was told that a long time ago, why people, and I was in casting back in 95. Mm-hmm. And people, was, the lady I worked with, his name was Robbie Reese, she was telling me then, why are we not having more people of color? Stop, stop. And uh, that's my main man, though. Let me t- I'll tell you about him off camera. You don't want to mess with him. <laughs> she was saying to me then that, why are we not, we don't have more people of color trying mm-hmm. to, you know, produce the films. Right. So it's just, that's about direction and trying to give kids something that they can say, I want to produce a film. I don't want to just act in it. Right. You know, how many more costumers do we have? Because I know Ruth very well now. Mm-hmm. My youngest daughter, who's 14, wants to be a costume designer. Mm-hmm. That's a way in for her. Yeah. You know, we have other people who want, when you're on the, on the set where you got a cameraman, he's got his eight-year-old son say, bring me that 50 millimeter lens. Mm-hmm. He said, look at it, look in the viewfinder. If some of the other kids that we knew get a chance to do that, they might say, I want to be a cameraman. Right. 
Um, so see, it's all about like exposure, collaboration, all that good stuff. And just like and just like you and I, you know, yeah. I, I'm obviously black. Right. You know, I'm not just black just because I'm black, but I'm dark black. Right. And people, they, I'm telling you, they don't see that a ain't, lot. Ain't no hiding for us. It's, no, 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 ain't no. Is he white? No, him no white. Yeah. Nah, and I'm not Jamaican, but but that's what. If there's anything else that I want to be able to leave, is that. So I help you, then you help somebody. Mm-hmm. Each one teach one, and next thing you know, there's we got black writers, we've got black producers, we've got black directors, we've got um, all people of color. You know, doing these this type of work, facts, and the facts. more the more we can ex- explore that and exploit it, then now we can control the, the the medium. Other powers that be, I'm going to use the kind of vernacular that some of our other brothers like to use, but the powers that be know that we've done everything we wanted to do in sports. Mm-hmm. We've done just about everything we wanted to do in music. Mm-hmm. We haven't really been able to infiltrate movies because movies are a visual medium. And they claim black movies don't sell. Well, but every, we know that's... We know that's not true. <laughs> yeah. In every aspect of, uh, of our lives, are, are, they're, they're, they're fantasized and romanticized now. Mm-hmm. And a picture tells a thousand words. If I showed you a picture of a soldier over a baby pointing a gun at it, and the baby's got a flower and they're looking up at the soldier... I don't need words to right. tell me what you. What do you think? What's that sort of like it's about to? Yeah. That's why the visual mediums are being controlled by the people because they don't want us to do that yet. When you can control the pictures, you can control the narrative. So as long as we try to continue to strive to be able to control the pictures, then we can t- take control of the narrative. All right. Uh, final two questions I think we'll see <laughs> um, so um, first question would be um, do you have any like advice words of wisdom on someone like who's you know trying to figure out life or just in general and with their art necessarily not producing but just in general just life just trying to make it through life and with COVID going on everything you know it's kind of <laughs> everyone's well, going crazy usually sometimes what happens with people who are in particular pursuits sometimes economic um, upheaval stops them from being able to pursue it um, if you really believe in yourself find a way to stay close to it mm-hmm. it was one of the things that I learned from Chadwick he used to say that he would take if they were doing a reading in New York for $100 he said he'd try to be there he said because he never wanted to take a job. He wanted to try to find a way to keep himself close to it. Mm-hmm. And at some point, it's, the weather's going to break. Usually, there's this old saying that, you know, it's not who you know, but it's not what you know, but who you know. Mm-hmm. But if you know people and you don't know how to do anything, it's just as bad. Mm-hmm. Somebody will give you a shot. And they'll say, okay, you want a shot? Okay. Yeah, now, what if it, what happens if you get that shot and you don't know what you're doing? Right. You might as well. It would have been better not to ever have gotten the shot. Right. So I tell people to hone the craft. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be, there's a formula, and it, people think it's really far, but it's really it's not. Because you know from being in California, you just didn't have a lot of time to continue to do it. But just imagine you go to workshops and you know people, mm-hmm. and somebody comes up and says, "Hey, man, I saw you in that in that play. You know, you have an agent, a manager." Right. Then you start understanding the, the team and behind it. Yeah. 
So what I would tell people, if 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 I was to be so forward as to tell somebody what I would think that they should be probably doing, never don't give up. If you've got a passion for something in this life, pursue it. Give it a realistic time frame. Usually, right when you think that just not going to happen, is usually when it does. That's what I would tell a person. Make sure that you give yourself a realistic time frame, because just like with Josh Gad, right before he decided to. Right before Josh Gad got ready to um, get his big break, mm -hmm. he almost quit. He, he was six months away from getting his part in the uh, Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. His mother said, just wait a minute. She said, give it six more months. He come from a family of doctors and lawyers and, and, and people like that, mm -hmm. his whole family. Mm -hmm. Jonathan, my business partner, he was with some girl when he was in college and she said, you should be a dentist. <laughs> But then he met his wife and his true love of his life. He's been married 53 years now. She says, I support everything you're doing. And had he not had that support, he comes from a long line of doctors and he, all of his cousins, they're all doctors. He's the only one that pursued art. But get yourself some friends in it, continue to work at it. And one day, I'm telling you, I promise anybody who's listened to this, one day something will happen for you, one day it'll break. But you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be in it. And I'll add some words too. It's like, if anyone's not supporting you with your dream, cut them loose. Yes. Cut them loose, because they just gonna hold you back. Um, like I said before, I appreciate the, the time, MJ. Um, just want uh, one more question, last sure. question. And um, just what do you want your legacy to be looked at after everything's all said and done? I just want to be looked at somebody as somebody who in spite of being in an almost cutthroat type of business, that I did care. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's hard to care mm -hmm. because people, you know, they try you all the time. Right. And when you're in a when you're in a business that's not friendly to us, it, they're trying to get you out of it. Mm -hmm. But I ref I've come too far now. And if I get a chance, my mother used to always tell me this: if you ever get a chance to help your people, help them. That's it. You know, I'm not trying to, I don't have to have uh, 50 people helped. But if I help you, mm -hmm. um, I don't know, there's a guy who lives here named Cash who's now with the union. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a friend named Faith who's trying to be part of the Teamsters. I just keep trying to help those people because if they can get themselves some kind of stable life in this, it changes their lives. And that life changes another life. That life stabilizes the life of their children. Their children get to go on and do things. And then it's like that six degrees of separation. You look back and say, well, who got you started? Yeah. It was MJ. Because <laughs> somebody gave me a break. If I didn't get the break from Jonathan that I got, I would not be where I'm at today. He believed in me. He supported me. And yes, we are men, so we have our share of battles. But I know that there's not nobody better that has my back in this. And it wasn't because... He was another brother. It was just another man. Right. So, um, tell you something about this guy. From the time I first met you, you were very kind to me, and I never forgot it. You were always polite, and you were never rude. So that always made me that that endeared you to my heart. And anytime I can do a chance, something to help this man, I'm gonna be doing it. And watch, you're gonna get to where you're trying to go. So you hear that first? <laughs> We're gonna be making some movies <laughs> near near future. Absolutely. You're right. I'm gonna produce some yes. more vice versa. I won't be acting in anything. Yeah. That's gonna be him because I do not. Yeah. I'm no actor. <laughs> well, MJ, I appreciate it. Um, 
And yeah, um, this is the first of many. Um, we'll get you back on. We can get a little bit more in depth when we have more time. But I appreciate you doing this, and thank you guys for joining me and joining us on our fir- my first episode of Art is Life. Um, be on the lookout as well for we'll see about that with my homeboy Jose. We are still doing that, so keep your eyes out for that. Pandemic can't stop us. Ooh-wee. All so right, guys. Say, how do we sign on? I don't know yet. Let's. What do you? What do you want to do? <laughs> Sign it off from Buffalo. Peace, love, and blessings, everyone. Art is life. Straight facts.